0: Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, Flow Health, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A slash decoder.
1: Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil
2: Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. We've got a special episode today. Last week, Spotify announced a major redesign of its home screen, which is now very focused on helping people find new music and podcasts. Honestly, it looks a little bit like TikTok. The Verge's own Alex Heath was at the event, and he spoke with Spotify co-president and head of product Gustav Soderstrom about the change. Alex is here. Hey, Alex. Hey, Neil. Alex, you were at this event, we talk a lot about the music industry on Decoder, the problems it faces, we've talked to Amazon and Sonos. We just had Charlie Harding from Search on Pop talk with the artist perspective. What's going on with Spotify?
3: Well, Spotify just had its big stream on event in Los Angeles last week. And after the event, I spoke to Gustav Soderstrom. He's Spotify's co-president overseeing all of product and engineering. He's been at Spotify for a long time. He actually led the development of their first mobile app in 2009, back when the company was about 30 people. I would say the biggest news to come out of this event was this controversial redesign that Spotify's <laughs> doing to look like TikTok, like you said. Um, there was a lot of strong reaction to it on social media. People obviously get upset whenever apps they love have big visual changes. And the reason behind the change that Gustav walked me through
2: I thought was really interesting. Um, but yeah, Spotify's embracing feeds. This is a big trend across the industry. We just had the chief product officer of Reddit on last week, Pauly Butts. They're adding a scrolling video feed that looks like TikTok to Reddit. It seems like everyone is chasing this concept because the dollars are in video advertising and they want to play pre-roll video advertising to you, or is there something deeper happening here?
3: I think that's part of it, but I think there is something deeper happening. My biggest takeaway is that Spotify not only sees this as a way to finally be more than just a streaming app, but a platform for artists and creators to get discovered, which I think is interesting. It pits them more directly against TikTok. But undergirding all this is, I think Spotify actually sees itself as an AI company. And what you'll hear from Gustav, the reason they did this redesign, is at its heart really to get better at AI, which I don't think is super obvious. But uh, that presents, of course, a lot of challenges, which we also get into. And, you know, because this is Decoder, we did spend a lot of time talking about org charts and why Spotify restructured the whole company recently,
2: which I found fascinating. I mean, there's nothing more Decoder than that. I will tell the audience when Alex has done this interview, he pinged me immediately and said, we talked about org charts unprompted. That's how you know it's a good episode of Decoder. I want to push on that AI thing just for one second. Every company right now is telling us it's an AI company. I think of Spotify as a music company. And one thing I think the audience will hear in this conversation is that Spotify thinks its product is actually music discovery. So most people pay for Spotify, think you get access to all the music, and then you can just listen to it, and that's what you're paying for. Spotify is saying what everyone's paying us for is discovery, showing people new music. And to do that, we need AI. That means we're an AI company. That's kind of a stretch, Right.
3: It is. You know, we didn't get into this, but there's this idea of the jobs to be done framework. And Spotify's in this really tricky position where it has this one job that it's really good at that people think of, which is, I just want to listen to music and my podcast in the background. And then you have the company incentives over here going, well, we've got to do more than that if we're actually going to build a sustainable business. Because as you've talked about on the show a lot, just streaming music not a great business. So that's where all this kind of collides. And it presents a lot of uh, incentive dilemmas and just product challenges. And it's why I I think people have been reacting so strongly to this redesign on social media, which I actually uh, (laughs) asked Gustav about and read him some tweets. And I thought that was pretty funny. I should probably also tease, if you're interested in whatever happened to Spotify Hi-Fi, this premium tier that they announced a few years ago and then never talked about again, I actually asked Gustav about it at the very end of the interview. And I think you'll find his answer interesting.
2: I love that. By the way, Gustav is a decoder listener. So he came ready to rock on the structure and incentive questions, which is awesome. Love it. Uh, By the way, if you are a subscriber to Alex's excellent newsletter command line, you got an early preview of this episode. Alex, tell the people about command line real quick. That's
3: right. So Command Line is this newsletter I've been doing for the last few months that sends every Thursday to paid subscribers. It's all about the tech industry's inside conversations. So you're going to get my exclusive interviews, analysis, and scoops on companies like Meta and Twitter uh, every week directly in your inbox. I'm having a lot of fun. It's still really early, but uh, it's it's been really fun. We've made it really easy to sign up. You just go to theverge.com slash CL. That's theverge.com slash CL. And the first month is free
2: command line is one of the most fun things we've been working on lately at The Verge. Alex has got tons of gossip and scoops and inside information. I love reading it and edits every week, and I think the audience has been really liking it. So go sign up. That's theverge.com slash CL. All right, that's enough hyping around stuff. Here is Alex's interview with Gustav Soderstrom, the co-president and chief product officer at Spotify. Here we go.
3: All right, Gustav Soderstrom, you're the co-president and chief product and technology officer of Spotify. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm here with you at Spotify's headquarters in L.A., where you all just hosted your big annual Stream On event. You announced a bunch of things, namely the biggest redesign of Spotify in a long time. We're going to get into all of that. But first, um, this is an episode of Decoder. And while I'm certainly not Nili, I do have some Decoder questions for you. Nili and I actually share a love uh, of org charts, believe it or not. So let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and I, I
4: do too. Okay. Actually.
3: <laughs> I figured you did. I have a feeling too that this will naturally lead into the news you all announced today. But first, I'd love to kind of start with your story. Um, you've been at Spotify for a long time 14 years. If I'm correct, I think the first big product you worked on was bringing Spotify to mobile.
4: Yeah, that's right, the Um, paid mobile
3: application. so the company had about 30 employees at the time. Um, Could you give me a sense of your time at Spotify and how your role has evolved over all these
4: years? Yeah, sure. So I came to Spotify not as part of the founding team, but when they were about 30 people, the desktop app already existed in Sweden, and it was a free desktop app. So the promise of Spotify was... You know, we were competing with piracy, so piracy was free, so we had to be free. And on desktop, with especially in Sweden at that time, with sort of very low light latency, high bandwidth, internet, sort of government provided, actually, that illusion worked. It was actually faster to use Spotify than it was to use Napster at the time. The music started playing faster. But... When you looked at mobile, so I I had done a few startups and, and sold a few companies to American companies like Yahoo. So my thing at the time was mobile, which is not a thing anymore. If you don't do bo- mobile, you basically don't do internet. But back then it was like a special skill. So I got a little bit lucky that I had, had a skill that was in demand. So Daniel brought me on to sort of figure out together with the team what Spotify mobile should be. And it was interesting because the first assumption Specifically from end users was like well, the whole thing with Spotify is that it's free streaming, and as soon as we started thinking about mobile with the with the mobile networks back then, which was like edge, GPRS even, that illusion of like streaming over over like data, it didn't work. It didn't work technically. It certainly didn't work financially. You get this SMS from your provider after half a song, like you're out of data. So we had to figure out both what the experience was. Pretty quickly, we realized that it would have to work offline. So we had to fix new licenses from labels, this offline mode that didn't exist, that you could sort of encrypt and keep music locally available with a key that the user wasn't supposed to be able to decipher themselves, that would expire. So what was interesting for me was that it was certainly a lot of technology innovation in making that performant and seamless so that, you know, when you added a file on your desktop computer, it would silently and seamlessly synchronize so you had it offline. But it was also very much a business challenge to figure out, together with the labels, what kind of license we needed and what that would cost. So that's kind of what I came in to do to head up mobile. And then over the years, I I kind of labeled myself a product guy, but I'm very interested in, in the combination of product and business models. I think there are product innovations that are interesting, but almost they're all the really big product innovations, they happen to coincide with new business models. They they kind of go hand in hand. I think that's been true for, for Spotify as well. So, um, I headed up mobile, and then I started heading up all of product for, for Spotify. And a bit later, a few years later, I also started heading up technology. So sort of the CPO, CTO role for Spotify, which is my, – my title now is co-president, but really my responsibilities are the responsibility of a, of a chief product officer and a chief technology officer.
3: It's unusual, based on my understanding, to have a CPO also be the CTO. Have you seen that model
4: at other companies? Yeah, maybe it is unusual. My background is as an engineer, computer science and electrical engineering, and I am generally interested in technology for the sake of, of technology. But um, I've also been a, a CEO and founder of my own company, so I kind of have the that mindset, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I just in, I enjoy technology. I spend a lot of time on time on technology. I'm not a great developer, unfortunately. No one lets me touch code at <laughs> Spotify, uh, uh, not anymore, at least.
3: Let's talk about the reorg that was part of the layoffs you all announced on January 23rd a little bit. Can you walk me through the reasoning for that reorg and what it's hoping to achieve? You were named co-president along with Alex and kind of what
4: was going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you you and Nile are interested in org charts and, and so am I, you know, you follow Steven Zanowski and Microsoft back and forth between your functional business units, what, what works. And the general advice is like, there is no right or wrong org. You should probably stick to one, <laughs> is is what they say. I have a slightly different version of that, which is you can't win with an org. There's no org that is good at everything. But you the, you can be in the worst place where what is really important to the company is what the org is bad at. <laughs> and what is not that important, you're good at. So what we kind of strive to achieve is that... The org we have is at least good at the important things and kind of sucks at the slightly less important things. So, so that's how we how we think about it. But I try to be clear about you can't win on all dimensions. It's always a, a trade off. So, this organization that we have now, we wanted to achieve a few things. Part of the reason for the layoffs and the org change is the macro climate in technology, where you know, basically funding and money was incredibly cheap for a very long time. So. People now complain that you know technology companies were exuberant, but the other way to see it is like when money was cheap, it made all the sense in the world to be very aggressive and grab as much opportunity as possible, and so did we. We got to half a billion users, and number one, in music and podcasts and so forth. But the world changed. That's not true anymore. Money and capital is very expensive, so Spotify has to change like everyone else. So we need to become a much more efficient company. We need to focus in addition to just being a great product. I mean, we've always known that the only way to get to build a great product for the very long term is also be a great business. You can loan money for a while and build a great product, but long term, you want to be self-sufficient. It's the only way to like, there, there is no job guarantee except being profitable. That's the way to think about it, right? So that's where we are. And with we, I mean all of technology. And it's not unexpected. This is what all new businesses look like. You, you have this innovation phase with startups and then it starts to mature. And that's where I think we we are. So that's part of the reason. But there is a more intrinsic reason for this, which is we presented at Investor Day uh, last summer, I think, this thing called the Spotify machine, where we said to the investor community, even though it was open to everyone, that the way they should think about Spotify is that uh, we built a music application. And to build that music application, we had to build a lot of technology. We had to build a consumer application where you can find content and subscribe to it, so forth. We had to build at least two monetization modalities, uh, an advertising tier and a subscription tier. We had to build recommendations engines for content and so forth. And then as we went into podcast, the way to think about that is we wanted to leverage the, all that infrastructure. And so when we went into podcast, instead of building a separate app and kind of start over with zero users, we started over with what was already then hundreds of millions of music listeners and with the bet of being able to upsell them on podcasting, which wasn't that big at the time. So most of the growth in podcasting we've done is actually to create new podcast users rather than stealing existing ones from other podcast services. So we made a bet on doubling down on, on our own audience and uh, using our own distribution to our music listeners for podcasting. And now we're doing the same thing with audiobooks. We're bringing another format to our existing audience. That gives us an intrinsic distribution advantage, both in that we have the audience, we have their taste and habits around, for example, podcasts, which is very similar to audiobooks. And it even turns out that music listening was predictive for podcast listening, which surprised me. Mm. But it comes with a challenge, which is if you're going to build this thing into the same application, you're going to make back the trade-offs. The trade-off is that you couldn't just make the application more complicated instead, so there are benefits to that, but there are also drawbacks. From a, from a pure design or product point of view, it's much, much easier to build a separate app because you can optimize 100% for that. But on the flip side, you're going to start with zero users. And when we looked at podcasts, while I think uh, Apple Podcasts had 98.5% market share, it wasn't like there wasn't a huge amount of great podcast apps out there. The problem wasn't that there weren't better podcast apps than Apple's. The problem was that no one used them. So distribution seemed to be the biggest problem, which is why we chose that trade-off. So why am I saying this? Well, why I'm saying this is if we're going to build a Spotify machine, our biggest challenge is actually to make these different content types work inside a single application and keeping it easy to use and keeping it from getting complex. So then I talk about two kind of orgs, uh, extremes, sort of, Amazon on one side and Apple on a, on the other. This is this isn't necessarily true, but if you uh, stereotype a little bit, Amazon is known for like parallel teams. You run in parallel, you divide and conquer. You have the two pizza teams. You're unblocked from reaching the consumer, but that also kind of results in a consumer experience where you might see three search boxes from three different teams on the screen at the same time. But but it, it works. It's a trillion-dollar company, so like, like, there's nothing wrong with it. But it doesn't optimize for simple user experience. It optimizes for speed. I think Apple is the opposite. They ship much, much, much slower than Amazon, but no one gets to put their own search box there. It is centrally synchronized, so they managed to build something very complex that still feels like it was built by very few people for a single user. So we chose to adopt more of that. We needed to synchronize the company and sort of eat that complexity of music and podcasts and audiobooks and potentially other things for the user instead of just shipping our org chart to the user saying like you figure it out so we built this org where we have three horizontal layers um, we have a platform layer spotify technology platform we have an experience layer called the spotify experience layer which is all the applications all the services, mobile apps cars desktop and so forth owned by a single person and then a personalization layer which owns all the personalization and ways of, like, how do you choose between recommending a song or a podcast or an audiobook for the same user in a certain moment? What is best for for the user, for the company? So we have these three horizontals that everything has to go through. It's a synchronization function that actually slows things down. But then these people are forced to eat all that complexity that would otherwise end up with the end user. And so these these, uh, sort of vertical businesses, the podcast business, the music business, and the audiobook business, they can't actually just go and ship stuff to the user. They have to go through these synchronization functions. So that was the big org change that we haven't spoken much about externally. Um, And it, it is all in service of being able to do this without drastically increasing the complexity for users to keep it simple. And so far, we think it's working. We have quantitative metrics that say that it's working that consumption on Spotify is way higher than any competitor, even though they only do one thing, music or so forth.
3: So to summarize, I think what you just said, you've basically made the trade-off of we may ship slower as an
4: organization,
3: but that's okay because we're optimizing for simplicity.
4: Yes, that is what we're saying. And I think that's true in, in those companies. It is a trade-off you have to make. You can't both let everyone run fast in parallel and be simple at the same time. I often say that people people come and ask me for, you know, more autonomy, more swim lanes. They want to own responsibility. And this is a very natural thing in companies, especially American companies, I find. <laughs> and, and what I say is, no, we're not doing competitive swimming. We're doing synchronized swimming. Much harder sport, much harder to, to execute, but much more beautiful to look at when it works. But synchronized swimming that doesn't work, It's just a mess. So it's a hard thing, but it is what we're trying to do.
3: I'm glad you brought up the the American angle, actually, because I did notice in Daniel X, the CEO of Spotify's note, about the reorg uh, efficiency, the word efficiency being used. Mark Zuckerberg has used it. It's kind of become a buzzword in the tech community this year. I think it's kind of the theme of the year, actually. Spotify is based in Sweden, but obviously has huge roots in the American tech community. It's a global company. Is the conversation that we're having in the American tech world also being had in Europe and other parts where you see Spotify operating is it a, because interest rates globally are going up. Is this is this a global conversation?
4: Is this more than just America? It is a global conversation. Uh, basically, the, the cost of capital has gone up globally, so that drives everything. There, there are local differences in Europe, as you as you probably know, uh, electricity is very expensive. So you have slightly different consumer problems, whereas interest rates are you know so they. they it differs slightly, but it's largely the same conversation, I would say. Got it. This is the decoder question. that um,
3: You've kind of already walked through this a little bit, but I'm curious how you specifically, as the head of this large organization, make decisions. How do you make – do you have a framework?
4: How, how do you make decisions? So two things. One is that back to the reorg, this change of uh, Alex Nordstrom and I becoming co-president, this was part of the whole – you can choose to either be more synchronized or more asynchronous, and both work, you know, both produces trillion dollar companies, we chose to be more synchronized. And that's part of the reason why Daniel chose to concentrate all the functions into Alex and I. So simplified, you can say I run product and technology, and Alex runs the business part and content and so forth. But it is only the two of us. And so what we do then, instead of dividing and conquering the problem, we actually We have our own direct teams, but we actually don't have separate direct teams meeting. We have a single meeting every week where all of our direct uh, reports meet to problem solve, to strategize, and just keep the company running. So we're literally trying to synchronize. And one of the benefits of Spotify, it's a a big company compared to the big tech companies. It's small. So we actually can have all all the decision and execution makers in one room. It's only 18 people. And that's sort of a competitive advantage. It's not possible that... Google anymore, it's not possible at Amazon that would be hundreds of people in that meeting so so that's one part of how we do it, we are small enough that we can actually have all the decision makers in one room and that's hugely important because when you have like an escalation or something, what, what usually happens in these distributed things is someone says in some meeting like, I'm blocked on this and someone else says, okay but I need to go to X who owns that and we'll take it offline, days go by what we're trying to make sure is that when someone says like I'm blocked by, you know uh sarah or Johan over here well sarah and joan are in the room so we're like okay so what can we do about that so so that's part of how we're trying to be to be different then on decision making itself um i have a a big uh, passion for a certain kind of decision making which is sort of the socratic debate i love debating things i think you can you know, the, the mantra in Silicon Valley until recently has been that, you know, you, you move fast and break things and ship stuff and data decides and code decides arguments. I don't subscribe that much to this. I think it's led to a bunch of stuff that that wasn't that good. And I think others are starting to feel the same way. What I've found is that you can actually reason your way if you have, you know, the the, the classical set of a, a sort of diversely opinion group of really smart people. So the NASA idea... You can reason your way very far, even past huge problems that you would have run into. So we tend to reason quite a lot and use different frameworks for that, sort of that you know the Charlie Munger quote that you should run anything through at least three frameworks. If they agree, good chance that you're right, because any framework reduces dimensions. So if you only use one, there's a risk that your framework just misses a dimension. But if you use three, pretty good chance of... Of being right so we do debate a lot and that's back to the whole speed thing like debating and talking can feel very slow but i i often tell people that you know talk is cheap so exactly for that reason we should do a lot of it because it is very cheap to talk it's much cheaper than writing code it's much cheaper than shipping the wrong thing and this belief that ab tests are cheap is completely wrong it's incredibly expensive to A/B test something
3: yeah which we'll get into because you've been A-B testing this big redesign that I want to talk about. Uh, lastly, on org stuff, if you and Alex have a disagreement about something super critical that affects the
4: whole company, is Daniel the tiebreaker? So he is technically. I mean, the, the benefit of this setup is that we're not co-CEOs. We're co-presidents. Daniel is the CEO. So there is a tiebreaker. And the company is still founder And I think that's critical. Like, it is very hard, I think, for companies to be able to do big, hard things without a founder who can say, like, no, nope, we're going to go left here. It is hard. So so he's still the CEO, and that's a big uh, competitive advantage for this company. Most most companies aren't CEO-led or, or founder-led anymore in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, so there is a tiebreaker in case that would happen. But the benefit is Alex and I have worked together for, like, what is 10-plus years or something, uh, so, so far, that hasn't happened. Okay. And, and we tr- we, we, the idea is we debate a lot. Yeah. That can be heated.
3: We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to get into the news we talked about in the intro. Spotify adding a visual feed to the app and why. Stick around.
1: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and, of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com US Innovate. Support for this podcast comes from HIMS. It can be challenging for men to speak about their health. And whether that's a fear of being vulnerable or just wanting to keep things private, there are just some things we would just rather keep to ourselves. HIMS knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need discreetly. HIMS is a men's healthcare brand looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online. So you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at That's hims.com/decoder. That's him slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. hims.com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hims.com slash decoder for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. We're back. Let's get into
3: the big news of today and what it means for Spotify as a product. I would say the biggest thing that people are going to notice first and have probably some strong reactions to is this new feed that you showed off today at this event that you all hosted. Take me into the decision-making process for what Daniel called the biggest change to Spotify since the introduction of mobile. You basically are incorporating this TikTok-like visual endless
4: feed to replace the main tab of the app. Um, Why do that? So, I think about it this way. What is it that that you know when we when we ask users what they love about Spotify? they say things like personalization and so forth. But if you drill down what they really say is like the more new things you show me, the more new things I found find, the more I'm going to like this product So it seems like the the love for Spotify is very correlated, hopefully causated to the amount of discoveries we drive. You, you kind of subscribe value and love to the thing that helps you discover new things and have a better life. So discovery is kind of the lifeblood of Spotify. So if you take that lens, then you should expect us to try to do everything to improve discovery. And, and the truth is what has happened the last few years with these feeds that autoplay content is its evolution. It has sort of converged on what is the most effective way to evaluate a new piece of content. And it turns out, if you think about it, not surprisingly – If you have one version where you're supposed to evaluate a piece of music by looking at cover art that you by definition never saw before, that may be descriptive of the music, but often not, click through on that, start reading titles of songs that often has nothing to do with the music, can't even know the genre yet, then you have to click one of those titles, then you have to wait for one and a half minutes on average to get to the hook that can't be the best way to discover music the best way to discover audio must be through audio so i don't think it's an accident the world didn't just randomize into this these auto playing cards it is evolution it is the most effective way to quickly understand and evaluate lots of content so you know we have to respect those those innovations and spotify had a different type of feed a two dimensional feed which was sort of the state of the art many years ago, but things change. They they have to change, and so does Spotify. So what has happened is, one way to think about it is, if you think about it from the point of of the algorithm, as they call it, even though it's not an algorithm, it's tons of different systems, but to anthropomorphize a little bit, one way to think about it is, you need a user interface that can see very effectively what a, a user likes. And so if you imagine that you have our old homepage where we would show a cover art for a song. You scroll past that. The algorithm can't even know if you even saw it. So maybe you saw it. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you saw it, thought about it, evaluated it, and don't like it. But it can't know. So it's going to have to show it again. And it's going to have to show it again. It's going to have to repeat it a lot. If you take one of these, these cards, what happens is when you see this, not only does the algorithm know you saw it, it even know you heard it. And you can know that if you listen to it for a while and, and continued, you should never see it again. So one way to think about it is it's like giving the algorithm glasses. So the secret of why some of these products are so good at recommendations is not actually that they have better algorithms. It's the same algorithms with a more efficient user interface.
3: And more, yeah, more signal for the company.
4: Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the reason we're doing it. But we're also doing something very different, which I, I saw you tweeted about this today. I mentioned that while the mechanisms are, are the same as many other companies have, because evolution has so far right now, this is the best way to quickly evaluate lots of content that we know of. So why shouldn't musicians get that and podcasters and audiobooks is just like, why just videos? We're doing something very different where we're not optimizing for time spent in the feed. We're actually optimizing for how much you listen to later or how much you save for later. And this may sound a little bit like a, a cop-out, but it's, it's actually true. And, and uh, the way to think about it is you look at the incentives. So these other companies, the ads are in the feed. They make money by people being in the feed. We actually don't. First of all, we're mostly a subscription business. So we make money from retention. And retention you get when people listen to these long things. But even in the free tier, we actually don't make money in the feed. We make money when someone later listens to that song and there is an ad in between that and the next song. So our incentives are not to keep you in the feed. Our incentives are to let you evaluate lots of content and put it in your library. So that when you get to that background moment, you have tons of things to listen to. So that's what we want to achieve. We would like you to quite quickly get through this feed because we don't have a lot of foreground time in Spotify. We're a background application. But what we want for you is when you open and you feel like, I want to find new music. That needs to be incredibly easy. And and what I want to achieve is that after one of these sessions, you feel like, oh, my God, my library is full of stuff that I want to listen to now, when I'm driving, when I'm running, in the background. So it is a different optimization metric. And and actually, to, back to the tweet uh, of, like, isn't it antithetical authentic- with an endless feed? The feed actually isn't endless. Oh, it's, it's not. Good. So no. you can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, you actually can't.
3: Okay, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought up incentives and monetization because, yes, you don't monetize the feed currently, but I have to guess that that's coming. I mean, aren't video ad dollars and the margins you get from ads against podcasts a huge factor in doing something like this because eventually there will be interstitial ads or there will be unskippable. This is the natural evolution of this format that we've seen across every other category.
4: So is that not coming? So first of all, in in the music, if you're a premium user, there actually isn't ads. So the incentives there are still like... And to, there won't be in the feed for a
3: premium user?
4: No, not for music at all. Okay, Like you're, you're, you're paying to, to not have ads there. The thing we optimize for there is long, long-term retention. Uh, and just to stay on that point one more second actually we published some papers on this uh, around the machine learning where the song that we recommend to you the traditional way to do it is impression to stream so you impress something and you see if they clicked it right that's what everyone did it's what we did we published some papers where we're starting to optimize for the impression and how much you listened down the line like weeks later so long-term engagement and retention instead of moment and It wasn't clear to us if that would do anything really differently. It could have been that the same item that is the most juicy and clickable in the moment is the item that creates the most retention. turns out it's not. In a huge percentage of cases, we start showing other things that actually have lower likelihood of click-through in the moment, but does create longer listening. Uh, a, A theoretical example could be that in every moment, the best immediate recommendation is to show you the thing that is on top of your played songs you know or something like that or the the pod, another episode the podcast are always listening to but if you think about it it's probably a good long term to get you to a new show like you know a new netflix series or something so we're we're trying to optimize for the long term largely because you know more than 90% of our revenue historically has been from subscription but that said in podcasts we do advertising right and you're absolutely right that video advertising dollars are bigger than audio advertising dollars, which is why we're very excited about the growth of videos. But those ads are actually in the podcasts. Mm -hmm. They're not in the feed. Mm. So they won't come to the feed. We have no plans for that right now. What we're optimizing for right now is to get you to see and listen to more of these podcasts. Mm.
3: Um, There was an interesting stat mentioned today that 25% of artists on Spotify self-release. They're not signed to any big label. There's also a stat, I think, from 2021, StreamOn, where you all said you want to be the home to 50 million creators by 2025. Is this kind of a discovery mechanism for those people, for creators and for the indie artists, as a
4: way to to be on the homepage of Spotify in a way that they couldn't have been previously? So I think the way to think about it is, so you have a few factors there. You know, new artists can be both on big labels and on indies and so forth, or it's self-published. So the general answer is we do want to give more creators the opportunity to be discovered. Right. And I think that's but we, we want that. And that's the natural evolution of the industry. It happened to text. It happened to pictures, it happened to video. It's just going to be more creators because the friction of go, creation goes down. Other platforms have been traditionally better than us at breaking new artists. Right, and we want to get better better at that. We want to do more exploration of content that doesn't have a lot of listeners. So you have two ways to do recommendations. One is uh, you do sort of a uh, similarity recommendations, something that is very close to what you're already listening to. It's a safe recommendation, and you can do that by looking at past play data. So if something already is already popular that you haven't heard, it's a good idea to recommend that to you, right? Because it has a lot of uh, sort of proof of work. Uh, but there is another type of recommendation, which is to try to recommend something that doesn't have a lot of listening yet. And that's where I think we can get a lot of better, a lot better than we have been. And part of that is the whole innovation in machine learning, large language models, and so forth that can actually understand content before a lot of listeners listen to it. Previously, we had to wait, content had to break organically before we felt that it was uh, safe to amplify it. Now, with these innovations in large language models and so forth, you can machine-listen to the content, but you can also safety classify it. So the, the big reason why we haven't been that aggressive on what is traditionally called sort of explore-exploit is that we just didn't feel comfortable exploring things that we didn't understand what it was. Mm. We've seen other companies end up in bad places. So We yeah. just we just held off. Yeah, But fortunately for us, and, and it used like the solution to that, doing that safely until a year ago, was 20, 40, 50,000 moderators somewhere in the world. But now you can do it differently. You can do it with machine learning. So Mm. we're going to try to be a lot better at helping more creators, music and podcasts and audiobooks, find an audience because of this technology. So we're quite excited about that. But, you know, we're not – we're going to get better at it. We haven't been traditionally very good at it.
3: Yeah, and you mentioned competitors have been better at new artist discovery. We're obviously talking about TikTok here. And I I know ByteDance has – Reso, Reso, their own streaming service that more directly competes with you all. I guess I'm curious if, if the TikTok, you know, discovery phenomenon is a competitive threat to you all, or if you see it, I would have thought that it would be kind of symbiotic because you find an artist through TikTok, but then you go to listen to them on Spotify. You're trying to have both of those experiences now in
4: one app. Is that fair? So, so you're using the exact right word, the way we thought about it internally uh tiktok youtube they're actually symbiotic most of the foreground discovery has happened there but fortunately for us so far and still we get almost all the background listening from that discovery trickles down trickles down to us so it is it has been and it is symbiotic but the answer is yes we feel now is the time we should also be able to discover on spotify you just have to bide your time back to being an efficient company and doing the right thing at the right time. So what we're saying now is we, you know, we, hope, we still think that's going to happen. I hope it's going to keep happening. But it kind of makes sense that you could actually discover music on Spotify as well, right? Sure. So we're starting to take that leap now. But as I just said, it is a big leap. You need to invest a lot more in machine learning, in safety. There's a lot of cost coming with being one of these true platforms. And we decided to take that leap about a year and a half ago. Um, and what you're seeing now is really us saying like, well, here it is the platform where new artists can break. You don't have to already be big to get an audience here. Yeah. But it was a very, very deliberate and quite big uh, bet to take on.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is is the reaction this is going to get from users. And I'm sure, you know, you all have been A-B testing this in the wild for the last several weeks, um, and I'm, I'd love to hear kind of what you've learned from that test and how that gave you the conviction to launch this to everyone. Anecdotally, there's a lot of heated reaction to this. I don't know if you you pay attention to the posts on social media
4: about even the tests of this. Have you seen some of these tweets? So what I do with user testing is uh, we do qualitative user testing in-house and quantitative, And it's different for different features, but uh, we've done big user interface changes before on the desktop app and on the mobile app. And we we asked some of our sort of uh, peer companies, uh, some of the really big uh, tech companies, Mm -hmm. about their experience Mm -hmm. with it before we did it last time. And I got one advice. I'm like, how do you change the entire user interface for like hundreds of millions of users? And the answer was like, don't. Don't even try. Yeah, People are going to be very upset. So. The, the way to think about it is it doesn't really matter so much, if, if even if it is better for you. If I come in and say, like, well, I'm just going to rearrange your desktop for you, where you have a bunch of habits, and, you know, you're not going to like it, but I know better than you. No one likes that. So it is very hard to measure. If you add a new feature, people are almost always happy, like the AI DJ, for example. No one says, like, I'm disappointed with it, because it's additional. But when you change a habit, it is very hard, and you have to separate what are expected user reactions to changing a habit, which no one likes, including myself, but may still be much better for you down the line from, you can fool yourself saying like, no, people are upset, but it's, you know, but it's just because they don't like change. Maybe it's actually bad. So what you need to do is to do, also do quantitative testing and understand if it actually creates more discovery and, and more listening. Yeah. That gives you some confidence for what are tough reactions. You know, Yeah. what I also find is that for one reason or another right now in 2023 people are very skeptical of new things i saw this with the ai dj when we announced it i saw a lot of tweets about like oh this is going to be crap for this and this reason and it can't possibly and then as we rolled it out it started shifting people saying it's amazing so for some re- one reason or another people are quite skeptical Oh, oh very. before they tried it,
3: I just I pulled a few random tweets and they're like, "I'll sell my laptop and phone out the window if they TikTokify Spotify." Can we stop making functional apps worse? I hope the dude who came up with this idea is thrown into a lion pit. And then one that was just, "I hate the future. I hate the future. I hate the future over and over and over." a um, Good thing
4: we don't have lion pits in Sweden. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's right. Um, you you mentioned the testing and i have to imagine that even before the testing this was a controversial idea to get through internally that probably re- required you know a lot of debate and that there were people inside spotify who thought this was potentially a bad direction for the company and you all had to debate that out can you walk me through the internal debate and then what you guys saw in the early testing that gives
4: you the conviction to make such a huge change when you are getting the reactions like i just read so it's it's a few things so first of all we actually haven't had the internal a problem i think internally people are very excited because they're using the product people are very excited about finding new podcasts uh finding new audiobooks and finding new music because one of the criticisms we do see on twitter is something that says you know spotify is, is uh, amazing and fantastic but i'm a little bit tra- trapped in my taste bubble like mm-hmm. i want help to break out and as i said we haven't been very good at that and it's not because we didn't uh Know that we wanted to. It is because it requires a different user interface. Let's say that you want to, you know, I love reggaeton, for example, which is not maybe traditional in Sweden. If we were to introduce more sweets to reggaeton, it's kind of hard to throw that into your existing playlist because that's nothing to do with it. Right. You need a different user interface where you can evaluate things more quickly and also where you can be wrong in in a feed like this. You can say like, nope, nope, nope we can't be wrong that much if we insert the song into a playlist while you're out running. Like three duds is, and you're gonna be like, this is crap. So it requires a different user interface to be able to let you explore new music genres. It just needs to be more efficient. So this is part of the reason why we're doing this, to address that concern that it needs to be easier to like expand my taste and try new things. We thought about that quite hard and it's not an algorithmic problem. It's actually the algorithms are there. It is a user interface problem. So we haven't had the internal problems around that. But one thing that we do is we we try to reason quite a lot through first principles. So for example, what I just said, like, what is the real uh, user problem? It is that people get trapped in their taste bubbles. So we're really good at having your taste profile. And as I said, there's an artist in that taste that you missed, we're really good at adding it. We're not that good at saying like, maybe you like a bit of reggaeton that you never listened to according to our data. So if that's the problem, and then you backtrack, what do we need to solve that problem? Is it an algorithmic challenge? No. Sort of, you know, explore, explore, and try new things has been around forever. Um, It is partially a safety problem, and it's partially a UI problem. So that's why we built this. And the other sort of uh, first principles approach we've had then is, if you look at the world where it's going, it seems that everything is going to be about machine learning and personalization. And as I said initially, I think if you're going to be competitive, you need to have a user interface that can much better understand if the user actually liked what you show them. And these efficient things that show tons and tons of small cover arts that actually doesn't have anything to do with the audio behind it, it's just incredibly inefficient. So you're going to annoy the user by showing the same podcast cover art 50 times until they say like, yeah, I saw it. I just, I don't even know what it means. So from first principles, you know, we we actually don't think we have a lot of choice. I think companies that don't have an efficient user interface for a machine learning world, it's not going to be able to leverage machine learning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first principles thinking helps us get conviction to do these things. And then I think it's inevitable that it's going to be challenging at this scale. Then what you do is you do a lot of testing to make sure that it's actually good, and you're humble and you listen to feedback and try to understand what the challenges are. And so one of the challenges that that we foresee and expect that we try to address is one one difference we have from many of these other platforms is that these other platforms are only about new content, right? You actually never expect to see the same thing. This is very different from music. 80% of the use case is to go back to the same playlist, your liked songs or the same podcast. So music specifically has an enormous amount of repeat listening. So one problem could be to take a user interface made for 100% new discoveries and apply it to what is only 10, 20% new discoveries. So if you look at the actual user interface, the almost entire first screen is what we call shortcuts, which is only your favorites, right? So one of the challenges we have that most apps don't have, certainly not TikTok, Instagram, maybe YouTube is. On Spotify, you can be in the middle of at least five things. You could be in the middle of three podcasts, one audiobook, and a playlist. How do you keep state of all of those things? So if you look at the app, actually... The home, the home feed, and all the subfeeds start with this podcast section, where you can see, like, I'm in the middle of this episode. It's the idea is, and we see this metrics-wise. You know, what are the things that you need to have absolutely front and center? Nothing starts auto-playing when you open Spotify. You have to actively scroll to start discovering. So, if you, for some reason, say, "I hate discovering new music. I don't want to try new music. I don't want to try new podcast," you open Spotify, it's going to be exactly what it was: the shortcuts on top, all your relevant sessions even closer than before, before you had to like go to a library, scroll a few games to, to keep your session. So we try to make sure that it's actually easier than ever to keep playing your favorites because that is our main use case. But then when you get bored, discovery should be one swipe away and you shouldn't have to click, you know, from a cover art to a playlist page, to a song, swipe to the hook and then evaluate a song.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So, so this is how we're trying to address these because they are valid concerns, like the fears are valid and then yeah. our job as product people are to listen and try to alleviate them at amazon they have this framework for decisions that can be
3: divided into two categories where it's a one door, way or, or a two-way is this a one-way this sounds like a one-way like there's no coming back from this it sounds like you guys have decided this is what the app needs where the app
4: needs to go for the business i don't think it is a uh i don't think it's a two-way door to say no well we did in 2008 was end of history that was the final innovation like we figured it out i don't think that's going to happen any company this is part of the reason why companies fail because you did something good it worked and then the world moves on and for one reason or another it's often someone else that figures out the new thing and you have this traditional challenge of you're seeing this new thing happening and things you know technology evolves it should happen and how do you make sure that you don't sit there and just watch someone else invent invent the future instead. So I don't think it's a it's a two-way door for anyone to sort of stay out of innovating for a machine learning world. But then is it, like I said, um, the shortcut section on top is exactly the same that we have. And, you know, we can choose to have more of those items. If we see that people feel like, no, now it's too hard to like get to my favorite song. Just increase the amount of shortcuts until it's easier than ever. So it's very adjustable, but the notion that we need to get better at discovery and you should discover audio by actually hearing the audio instead of looking at pictures and reading text, Mm -hmm. that I think we have very high conviction around. We need to take one more break, but when we come back, we talk about podcasts.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact.
3: We're back. We've talked a lot about audio. There was a lot of podcasting uh, announcements today as well, and podcasts were shown prominently in the feed, video as well. This is kind of a renewed push into video for you all. Is there a concern at all, or were you all guys thinking about how can we, with the new homepage, we, we're we obviously optimizing for video as well. Could this put audio-only creators and podcasters at a disadvantage if Spotify for some reason is saying we want video because it's higher engagement? could potentially lead to more advertising? How do you balance the formats there? Because I think there will be a natural concern that Spotify is showing off all this new video podcasting stuff. Does that mean if I'm an
4: audio podcaster, I'm not going to get the same level of distribution? So I think, I mean, if you look at the announcement today, we showed a lot of video because it is something that is happening right now. So it's something we're we're excited about. But it's still the case that the majority of podcasting is is audio. So we talked a lot about it today. But obviously, the the majority of podcasting is, is still audio. And I think there are distinct formats of podcasting which are supposed to be audio. And then there are some forms of podcasting that benefit greatly from having video because it's a, it's a face-to-face discussion. And so what, what happened us was, we, this is not something we did. Like you mentioned, we've done previous pushes into video, which were more from from us, so yeah. we're wanting to get there. And then that, that actually didn't work. So we kind of backed out of it and said, like, well, that's not going to work. And then what happened was we started getting podcasts onto Spotify, for example, Joe Rogan with video. And we we're kind of like, okay, let's let's enable it then, I guess. But we, we kind of know video isn't really our thing. And then we looked at the metrics and we saw like, hmm, people foreground this thing mm-hmm. when interesting things are said. They start looking at, you know, Elon smoking weed and, mm-hmm. and these things. And so back to like listening to users we're like okay if, if they want to and they use it let's do it. And so as Alex Cooper said today we do see episodes with video get more engagement but that doesn't mean that it's for everyone or everyone has to do it. So for us um uh, you know we we kind of recommend what people want to listen to we try to understand what's the best performing and and you know f- from an advertising point of view our advertising platform, we sell audiences with, you know, video and audio. So I don't think it's going to change for anything for audio creators. I still think there you know, audio is a unique format. And like I said about the foreground feeds, this is actually for those rather short moments for us in percentages. We have quite small amounts of foreground time and huge amounts of background time, the opposite of our competitors. And we like it that way. Mm. It's better to be complement your competitors than a direct, you know, uh, replacement. So, so you're
3: not trying to optimize for, for foreground
4: activity? No, we're trying to use the foreground time to get you to find much more background content. Hmm. Then what we see with video is people actually foreground the podcast videos while they're listening to see stuff that happens. And it seems to improve the, the listening experience. But I think the way to think about it is people get stuck on the video. But um, my favorite example is, There are different types of video. So you have the long-form conversation, like Alex Friedman or something, with video, where it's interesting sometimes to to see what... But most of the time, like watching the talking heads isn't that important, but they talk about something. But that video makes a lot of sense as background audio. Mm -hmm. Then you have something else. Like I'm passionate about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Most of those videos, they don't even have commentary. If you watch them as audio, it would just be people panting. It makes no sense. So I don't think it's video versus audio. I think it's conversations versus whatever the other is, the judo thing, right? And so conversations, I think, seem to benefit from video sometimes. But it is like a voluntary thing. We're not in the business of trying to get video, foreground video on the platform, if that makes sense. But the pl- rather background video. The podcast
3: autoplay feature you announced here where you're going to start autoplaying podcasts after someone ends. Are you pulling
4: that from... listeners other shows or are you suggesting new shows to we're also suggesting it is an opportunity to sort of help you find and expand but but it it pulls very heavily statistically it is what what i said in the presentation is the most relevant so most of the time you will hear probably the episode you would have clicked that's what we're trying to optimize for Mm. you know it's like what would you have clicked and if you have an unlistened episode from a podcast you always listen to that is the best thing to play But potentially, we could suggest things there.
3: Last question on podcasting, and then I have one quick one, and we can end it. Um, Are you ever going to make it impossible for me to skip ads in podcasts?
4: If I'm going to make it impossible for you to skip ads? To skip ads. No, that's not something that we have planned for at all. In fact, what we see, I think, in the industry has been the opposite. Ads get more and more skippable because it's a signal for the relevance of the ads. So... No, not not anything that I've planned for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: Kind of getting out of podcasting, I wanted to ask you about HiFi.
4: I would say it's actually
3: unusual for a company to announce something and then just ignore it for two years. Um, So what happened to this premium HiFi tier that you all talked about in 2021?
4: So we announced it, and then what happened was the industry changed for a bunch of reasons. And so we are going to do this, and we're going to do it, but we're going to do it in a way... Where it makes sense for us and for our listeners, so the industry changed and we had to adapt. So, how did the industry change? In various ways uh, that uh, we can go into more details later, but it changed, and for was that it, reason, I we mean, adapted honest, our strategy. It was
3: a, be honest, is because it was cost prohibitive from from a margin perspective
4: with the labels. Was that the reason? We want to do it in a way where it works for us from a cost perspective as well, and I can't comment on it because. I'm not allowed to comment on our label agreements for obvious reasons, and also what other players in the in the industry did. Um, well, everyone knows that these premium tiers they they the labels charge more. I mean, that's I feel like understood at this point in the industry. Yes, yeah, and so we're going to offer, but it's back to like what we did today. We there is a risk that. You unnecessarily commoditize yourself. You just do what everyone else does, and then you just try to do it the cheapest or the fastest. We want to do something where we thought it through. So I don't want to say more right now. Okay. You don't want to give me, like, be- an expected be- date be- or anything? <laughs> no. What I am saying, though, rather than saying, like, well, we'll see if we do it, it's like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Okay. So, But I don't want to give it away because we want to try to do something that is uh, our own and unique. Uh do, so, do you are you a believer in spatial audio? Is, is Spotify going to do spatial? I won't comment on it right now. Okay, I want to I want to say that for later. Do you we'll, personally like spatial? We'll do another we'll do another episode. <laughs> okay, we'll do another episode. Audio, <laughs> audio like you know this like audio quality is like the most sensitive topic. It is. You have like, especially for verge listeners, believers, and like on on all sides of the spectrum yeah. who love and hate like the same things. So. It is another one of these tricky things. We can't please everyone, uh, but we're going to try. So, Okay, so okay, there's a Spotify
3: everyone. HiFi fi lossless type experience coming at some point. You something is coming yet. at some point, okay. yes. All right, we can end on a little bit of an optimistic <laughs> note there, although I wish you would share more. But yes. that's okay, we'll do this again. We'll, we'll save something for <laughs> yeah. later. Okay, all right. Gustav, thanks so much for joining Decoder. Thank you for having me. It's Thank great you. to be here. Thank you.
2: Thanks again to Gustav Söderström from Spotify and to Alex Heath for taking the time to be on Decoder today. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, I highly recommend signing up for Alex's newsletter command line. Go to theverge.com slash CL. The first month will be free. We'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com or hit us up directly on Twitter. We're at DecoderPod. On TikTok, we're at DecoderPod. We're having a lot of fun on the TikTok side. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, finish with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. It was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott, who was edited by Kelly Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters and our executive director is Alan O'Donovan. We'll see you next time.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot.